Welcome to this edition of Talking HR with Lori and Lisa, where as always, our goal is to give you a real look at today's HR world through the sharing of experiences, knowledge, and inspiring people practices. I'm your host, Lori Relkoff. And I'm Lori's co-host, Lisa Fuller. What an honor to have talent strategist and company culture expert, Steve Cadigan, as our guest today. An expert in the future of work, Steve is considered a corporate culture guru, bringing winning insights from over 30 years of HR experience with industry titans like Google, Salesforce, the Royal Bank of Scotland, McKinsey, and the BBC, as well as venture capital firms. Steve is well known for leading LinkedIn's first talent push and building its world famous culture and inspirational keynotes and seminar speaker and hosts workshops at global conferences and major universities. He is the founder of his own Silicon Valley based firm, Cadigan Talent Ventures, and the author of an important and timely new book called Workquake Embracing the Aftershocks of COVID 19 to Create a Better work Model of Working, which you're here to talk about today. Welcome, Steve. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, we're so excited to have you. And I especially like the connection that I have personally, because I, I haven't mentioned it uh, to you previously, but I, you currently live in the Silicon Valley in California, and I'm originally from the U.S. and have family who live in Southern California. And so you have a connection to BC to your past too. Can you tell us about that and how it led to the work that you do today? Sure. In probably, what was this, the 2002, I was working in Singapore uh, for a high-tech firm that had, after about two years of being there, had asked me to consider um, moving back to the United States, which I didn't want to do. I was really enjoying my adventure in Asia. And so I started to look for a different opportunity and a firm in Vancouver crossed my radar and asked if I would consider joining them. They were just outside of Simon Fraser uh, University campus in Burnaby, beautiful Burnaby. And I took on my first ever head of human resources role for a company called PMC Sierra. It doesn't exist anymore because it's been acquired, but that was uh, in 2004, I moved from Singapore to Vancouver. I actually lived in Port Moody for those of you who know the area for a couple of years and then uh, moved to the city in Carisdale, Vancouver for two years. So I lived four years there. I have my wife at the time and I gave birth to two Canadians. So I have mm -hmm. twins that were born uh, in Vancouver and just really uh, enjoyed my time there. It was a tough period for the world of work that I was doing at the time because it was, a, it was following the dot-com bubble burst of 2002 and a lot of tech companies were struggling. PMC, Sierra was no, uh, no exception. And we had to make a lot of hard choices of uh, trimming the organization, cutting costs and so forth. But I just loved my time there and uh, regret having to move back to the US. So, but so I was there for about four years and great experience it was a global company, even though we had probably 60% of our staff was across Canada. It's, it was just really interesting that the perspective of being in Canada it was a US based company, publicly traded on NASDAQ, but most of our staff were in Canada. Yeah, it was a great run until the CEO decided to retire. And I wasn't sure that his successor would be as fun to work for as he was. So I started to look for other things. And ultimately, that led me back to the US. So I guess you've had a lot of professional and still have personal connections to Canada with your with your sons or your twins that you have. 
Do you see any differences between the U.S. and Canada in terms of the changes you speak about in your book and in the way the workplaces are dealing with those changes? I see a few. You know, today I sit on two board, uh, board of directors positions, one for a small publicly traded tech company in Vancouver and one for a, a startup in Victoria. And I would say on the one hand, I believe that the leaders that I work with, and I'm primarily talking about technology companies right now, which doesn't cover every sector, of obviously, but I believe that the creativity and the competitiveness in Canada is very high because the challenge in getting top talent is a little tougher than other places that have more, uh, I should say, a greater volume of staff from which to recruit from. You, you have a finite supply in BC and across Canada compared to some of the other large cities in the US, like Austin, Austin, Seattle, Silicon Valley area, where there's a, there's a lot of tech talent. So I see more creativity in Canada around how to address that, how to be competitive. And there's a greater openness to experimentation, which I talk about in my book, Workquake, is really, I think, the key to thriving in the future is you're going to have to experiment a lot with your talent strategy because it is really hard to find the people with all the skills you need right now. And what we're starting to see in some of the firms I'm working with across Canada is a greater readiness to take on things such as if you have trouble recruiting, maybe the way you solve that is by turning your company into more of a skill development enterprise than a recruiting enterprise. You solve your recruiting challenge by creating your organization into more of a talent development engine. So you're building the skills rather than hunting for them on the open market. Those are just, a, there, there are a few of the differences that I see. I like that because I was really wanting to, to talk to you a little bit more about this experimentation that you've shared in your book and the best practice. And what do employers, so you're talking about skill development. So in my mind, I'm thinking that's a lot of succession planning, it's learning and development programs and so on, and really building your team. Are you finding that's making a difference for employers to actually, if they're spending and investing in their talent, are they retaining them or given the workplaces and the world with the turnover right now, post-COVID, are you seeing up? other solutions to retain staff? This is such a big area, uh, such a big, important topic, I think, for every organization to consider. Let me share with you how I see it. I don't see the greater emphasis on development and talent and skill growth in organizations being a program. I see training and development has moved from human resources into the core of a company. If you want to thrive today and tomorrow, you're gonna to need to create jobs that build the skill while you're doing the job. So experiential learning is gonna be absolutely critical. Giving people projects and new assignments on new teams with new departments so that they can build their agility and their adaptability. I'm not talking about you know, bringing in professors from Queens or other universities that are going to start to try to impart different skills. I'm talking about you're going to have to find a way in your business and your talent strategy, such that how you design work also 
in the process of creating value for the company and something that customers are going to demand, you're also going to create your employees or develop your employees more through the course of them creating value, if that makes sense. And that's a big shift for a lot of organizations because we have a tradition and a paradigm in thinking about work such that, well, if you're an accountant, you're always an accountant and not recognizing that someone who has analytical skills can also do maybe talent analytics within HR. Someone can do measuring data in different ways in a business development role where we've been very traditionally compartmentalized in our thinking about talent. And when talent, it becomes scarce. We all have to become more creative in terms of how we can see parlaying experiences and skills in new ways. And that I think is going to be the, the big challenge here for organizations to try to turn the, turn the knob because we've looked at training traditionally as something external, right? Uh, and it can't be any longer. It has to be integral to, to your strategy if you want to have you know, a way to have a competitive edge today. You're just not going to find in every organization struggling this right now around the world, in every geography, in every industry, can't find the people I need with all the skills that I need as fast as I can. And when I do, they don't stay as long as they used to. And so we're going to have to learn. That's not going to change. When I ask every organization, what's your biggest problem? Those are the problems that they have. And I say, do you see that changing in the future? Do you think people are going to stay in jobs longer tomorrow or in five years? And the answer is always, no, I don't. I said, then why is your talent model still hold on to people for a long time and expect they're going to stay when you just told me you know they're not going to? And so that's part of the challenge. I think we have to recognize there's an absolutely a different model in terms of how people are thinking about their career journey. Steve, you've talked about how employers should not expect employees to be committed to them in the long term. I'm starting right in the job interview. And one of the quotes in your book is, why can't we have relationships with organizations that would celebrate moving to a new employer openly? Can you expand on that for our listeners? It's a, it's a little unorthodox way uh, for employers, I think, when they recruit to think that I'm going to expect these people to move on quickly or I should almost encourage it. Right. And let me explain what I mean by that. And I would have, I have been the person who earlier in my career would have re- absolutely rejected what I, what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> so let me start with a little bit of a backtrack around what I just said in answering the last question, which is, if you believe that people are leaving faster than they ever have organizations, which everyone does, and you also believe that probably won't change, I think we need to start opening our mindset to recognizing there's a why, why is that happening? And I think it's happening for a lot of reasons, but primarily because people are fearful that they're not going to have the skills they need to be valuable for tomorrow. And if they're stuck in a place that's not growing and developing them, they're going to atrophy. We used to think long-term, you know, staying in an organization long-term was career success. And now it's starting to shift to the longer I stay, the more vulnerable I feel I'm becoming because I'm not growing as fast. And I can see I have more visibility to what other companies are doing and developing and working on than at any time in history. So people are acting on that and choosing to go to places that are going to make them better. And so the way I see this is I think it's a more honest and a more realistic and more beneficial strategy if you care about someone for their career, not just when they work for you. 
And I used to be that person. I only used to care about you when you worked for me. When you left, you're kind of, I call it the Tony Soprano school of HR. You're dead to me. You don't, you know, it's like you broke up with me. And we can't do that today because we have a more fluid world of work. And so we can't be sad, upset, disappointed, let down when someone goes. We have to build talent models that recognize someone's going to go. So let's build, you know, backfill. Let's build time to productivity practices that get people up and running quickly. Let's share learning. So when someone leaves, other people know how to do that role so that we're not finding a single point of failure. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm not excited about that. I'm not here to say, I'm so happy everyone's leaving jobs faster. I'm not, but I want to say, folks, if you, if you don't believe that, I mean, if you, if you believe that to be true, you have to start changing your strategy to expect it and prepare for it. That's really great advice. And I'm I'm sort of thinking now as I look at the organizations that we we support and assist, how how do HR professionals, how do business leaders, what do we all need to consider from a leadership lens on how we lead our people mm-hmm. now? So you know, I'm hearing we it's that being very agile, developing people, giving them the experience on the job and uh, really helping them be their best selves for the time that you have them. Because I always think they may come back to you in the future and if you have that relationship with them. But I think it also takes a shift in the leadership skills and the people leaders. Can you sort of give us some ideas on how people leaders motivate their staff? Yeah, yeah. And we're, you know, my team and I were putting together some workshops to help people really bring this to life. So let me explain what that looks like. I think, you know, what we're talking about here is we used to recruit selling a candidate on our journey and our vision and mission and and values as a company. And I think that we need to shift to begin the conversation with a candidate to understand their journey. Where are you going? Where do you want to go? How clear are you around your path? And how can we optimize your time here, however long that is, to benefit you on your journey? Because people have more choice today and they're acting on those choices. So let's start the conversation with trying to understand where a candidate wants to go and start trying to build a more personalized journey for people in our organizations. And I know That sounds very frustrating to people who are used to a one-size-fits-all, no, you do what you say, and this is our model. And and part of me is also, you know, when I look at this, I see the leader becoming, you know, spending more time listening, engaging, and understanding what that is, and architecting a a role for somebody that really helps get them where they want to go. And in a way, and this is very counterintuitive, similar to the the point we talked about earlier in our conversation, I think the, the more you make someone capable of finding a new job and being better for the future, the longer they're going to stay with you. And I believe that a big shift that we have to recognize as employers is I believe talent today, especially younger talent, is loyal to learning, not to a company. And if you are the company that's going to give them more learning than the other place they could go, which means they're going to be more valuable in an uncertain future, I think the more likely they're going to stay. And that is a big mind shift. We're not used to as leaders, people having so much choice and acting on those choice. But everyone I talk to today in every geography 
does not see that changing, that people are going to continue to go. So we have to start optimizing for that. And, you know, there's, interestingly enough, there's an industry that expects people will go and benefits from people leaving quickly. And it's the management consulting industry. They build a whole model that, you know, come here two to three, five years, then please leave. And the better the job you get, the easier it becomes for us to recruit new grads to take your place because we can show you came here, you got better and you got a better job. And you, as you just mentioned, you become a better source in the universe for us. Maybe you're going to refer deals to us. Maybe you're going to refer business to us. And that I think is kind of an ultimately where, and it doesn't work for every business for sure, but where you can do that, I think we're going to have to experiment and explore those, those new methods. So Steve, you've touched upon a few things, uh, much like in your book, you're providing advice, not just to employers, but you're also going from the uh, employee perspective. Uh, can mm-hmm. you expand a bit for us around what you would say to people out there looking for work or what they should be doing in this new world of work? And how timely is this, Lori? I mean, <laughs> working at LinkedIn for four years, I will tell you the most, the dramatic rise in usage on LinkedIn happens in January (laughs) because everyone has taken time during the holidays to refactor. And my goodness, the pandemic has just magnified that tremendously. We're seeing more movement, not just jobs, but career paths, which is interesting. So this is the advice that I would give people. If you're in a big organization, before you hop to something new, because you're frustrated or you're not feeling like things are going the trending the way you want to, explore where you are first. Maybe there's another place, maybe there's another department or another part of the organization where your needs could get met better. And because a lot of people will leave and not even consider other places feeling like, hey, if I leave where I'm going, my boss is going to potentially sabotage my ability to be successful in a different part of the company, which is a shame, but that's, that's, I believe, realistic. I think the kind of organizations that I strongly recommend people consider are ones where their network is going to expand, where they're going to, you know, not only grow professionally, but their network's going to be additive. And those are the two things I think that are most important when I think about my kids and the advice I'm giving them to set them up for the for the future is look for organizations where you can meet people doing interesting things that will pull you and bring opportunities to you in the future. I mean, provided you do good work and you're trusted and look for organizations that really take an interest in you and your development. And they're more focused on you growing than keeping you as a prisoner, you know, quote unquote. And I think that to me are two of the really critical elements and it's sort of intuitive and there's, there's nothing you know, earth shattering about those notions. But the good news for all of the job seekers today is we have more access to information to help us make these choices. And I think what you want to do as you build your platform for your career is have more people helping advocate you. I mean, if you're stuck in an organization that's just keeping you some in some department, your network's not going to grow. You're not going to meet new people. So look for places where they move you around, you work on multiple different teams and projects. And that's also going to give you a, what I call a career buffet table, a chance to learn new things about yourself. You know, I don't believe in this notion that there's a dream job for everyone. I think there's dozens and dozens of dream jobs for people. And unfortunately, we're only going to have a chance to do, you know, a few dozen things in our life. So, 
the more you can go earlier to try different things, the sooner you're going to find what you like to do, what you're good at, what you don't like to do, and what environments inspire you to do your, your best work. I guess that's how I'd answer that. That's, that's awesome. I was busy making notes because I, I just loved all the things that you're sharing, Steve. And, and I think it is true. There are dozens of dream jobs. And the more we even adapt and be open to learning, the more skills we obtain and, and the more opportunities we have that we don't even know we're creating for ourselves. And uh, it just helps us give back, I think, to to society and our communities even more so, whether it's in a volunteer capacity or right. a work capacity and, and we learn along the way and that's so much more exciting. I'm gonna shift gears a little bit because I wanted to find out a little bit about what you wrote in your book about the old employer and employee contract was broken. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you what you meant by that and sort of what a company can do to maybe fix that broken contract? Sure. You know, we talked a little, we've danced a little bit around it already in the conversation. I feel that uh, most companies start a conversation and engage with candidates with really a false assumption. That is, hey, I'm going to talk to you about staying here for a long time, and you're going to talk to me about committing to stay here a long time. And we're going to, we're going to, you know, give you the illusion that we're going to keep you a long time, but both of us know we can, neither of us can hold really true to the, to those expectations. <laughs> I can't promise I'm going to employ you a long time and you you're not going to promise you're going to stay here a long time, but we're going to start our relationship with this false assumption that's in place. And what I'm trying to say in my book and in a lot of the classes and in conversations I have with leaders today is let's let's have a more honest conversation. I know you're not going to stay here forever and you know we're not going to employ you forever, but let's find a way to optimize the time that you're here such that we both benefit. You help take this company further and we help you take your career path further. And we hope that it's mutually beneficial for a long time, but it's probably not going to be. So that's okay. Right. There may be another pandemic in the future. There may be another economic downturn and I'm going to have to make some hard choices and may, I might have to let you go. So what I want to make sure is I make you better while you're here. That's the better promise. And so that, that's why I feel like the model work is just broken. This whole notion of we're going to keep you a long time, but we don't really believe that. But that's how we're going to, you know, go into this employment, you know, contract, if you will. And you're going to commit to stay here a long time, but we both know you probably won't. <laughs> So I'm trying to say we need to be more honest. And, and that's not true for every profession. I'm saying, you know, for a significant number of knowledge workers, right? If, if I'm in a uh, organization where lives are on the line, I don't want to have a lot of turnover, right? Because people could die or I'm sending someone to the moon, you know, like I want that team there. But the other broken model of work is you only add value to me unless you're an employee. I think that is so broken. And you know, we've all worked in organizations where we have a significant number of temps and contractors. And what I'm seeing happen during the pandemic, and I think it's only going to continue that the challenge is we don't have real clear data uh, because we don't track those numbers as much as we track employees. But I believe the proportion of people inside an organization creating value in independent contractor temporals has grown and it will stay higher than it's ever been going forward because we have an uncertain future right now. 
And so those are some of the things when I think about it's, it's kind of broken and we need to be more open and honest. And, and I do share my book that when I was at LinkedIn, gosh, this is now 10 years ago, we would start our interview process by saying, okay, so when you leave the company, what do you want to be doing? And early in my career, I would have probably been fired by asking that question. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Cadigan? Yeah. But now, I mean, come on, you know, I'm sitting here in Silicon Valley. It's a career candy store. I don't begrudge anyone for pursuing something that they think might be more interesting. And yeah, I want someone who's more loyal and someone who's going to give me, you know, their best effort and, and stay around. But I can't begrudge them when they see a shiny object that could be, you know, something that they really appeals to them. And it's really hard. You know, and that gets to something, Lisa, which I think is really kind of at the center here. We're talking around it, which is culture. Um, you got to be really clear today if you're hiring people on who you are. You better know. You better know who you are and why someone would want to work for you. And that that was when we were facing the recruiting challenge, growing LinkedIn really fast in the shadows of Google and Facebook and Twitter who were sexier. They could pay more. They're making more money. They paid bigger bonuses than we did. The only way that we found a way to beat them in the end, and we did, not because we made more money or not because we were sexier, but because we were really clear on who we were and who wasn't a good fit for us and who was a good fit for us. And we were really clear on how we were different than the other choices people had. Because if you're out there recruiting today, and I'm just telling you right now, if anyone here is recruiting talent and your recruiting pitches, we're nice, we have a good culture, we've got a great environment, we've got beautiful buildings and nice benefits and nice perks and good leaders, and we're going to make a lot of money. Guess what? Everyone else says that. <laughs> so you better come up with something more compelling. So I'll tell you what we did at LinkedIn. We said, listen, we're what we're working on matters. Helping people, helping your kids, helping your family find their dream jobs. No one's solving this problem. It's a big problem. We want your help doing that. And we're a small company and you can come in, not only help us solve that problem, but you can help us make a great culture in the process of doing that. Or you can go to Google and be engineer number 7,000, work on buffing all the trophies of people before you that created the code and you didn't create the code. You're just tuning what other people did. We're building. Or you can go to Facebook and help develop people's short attention span capabilities and help kids not do their homework. I mean, if that's what you want to do, fine, go do that. But if you really want to change people's lives, come here. So I think you've got to be really, really maniacal about what is unique about you because people have choice today. You know, and if you've got a vanilla answer that everyone else is using, I'm sorry, but you're not going to get the best talent. So the the situation with COVID and, you know, the COVID is in your, the title of your book, it's just evolving so rapidly. Is there anything that jumps out at you since you wrote a work quake that employers and employees should take note of? Well, first of all, that was so hard because my book was essentially done and then COVID hit. I'm like, I cannot publish a book about the future <laughs> work without COVID. So pause, redo, figure out where this is going. And it was really impossible. I, I For me as a cultural closet, cultural anthropologist, and I'm sure you guys are too, because if you're in HR and you're not curious about culture and people, you're probably in the wrong profession. But this has been the most phenomenally interesting two years of my life. And I think the lessons that I'm learning uh, being deep, deep in this is that the game right now is agility. The game right now is having a, what I call a moving from a situational mindset, like solving for the pandemic versus solving for the long-term, you know, systemic thinking and sustainable thinking. We are not going to go back to the way we were. 
And all of us in HR, everyone in the talent world is in the change business. And we've never had a more fertile base with which to implement changes than we have right now. Everything in everyone's life is changing. We're used to it. We expect it. We know it's coming more than any time in history. So the readiness for us to tackle building a future work better has never been greater. That's got me excited. Yes, it's dark and it's glum. And I'm sitting here while we're recording today with a somewhat of a broken heart because I have three boys on the high school basketball team and they just shut the program down for a week. And I think they might do it next week. And I'm just, I'm so sad for the opportunities they're missing, recognizing that there's not much I can do about it. But the upside of, you know, using this moment in time for us to rebuild something better, I think is, is really, really great. I think the skills that we're all learning, everyone in the world is learning to be more adaptable and more agile. And every consulting company in the world says those are the number one skills that uh, CXOs are demanding around the world. So we, we're, we're learning. And, and I got into a really interesting debate yesterday with somebody. There was an article in the New York Times that came out saying, oh, kids are falling behind. You know, they got to get back into school. And this is really awful. And I'm like, no, I don't see it that way. I think kids are having the most incredible learning experience that they could have. You know, seeing how societies and countries and states and leaders are handling the pandemic differently, how school districts are handling it differently, learning to learn differently at home, seeing their parents work differently, seeing how everyone has to adapt. That is so powerful. You know, we've got this mindset that, you know, education mostly happens in the classroom. I disagree. You know, the biggest things that I bring to my professional life is that I grew up in South Africa. I had to adapt and was teased mercilessly when I moved to the U.S. because I had a very strong South African accent. <laughs> and that made that made me learn how to adapt. And that has served me so well in my career, more than any class I've taken or, or any sort of academic experience. And we're, we're looking at this, I think, the wrong way. And it's a really great learning opportunity. And I am so excited by all the possibilities for the professionals. We're seeing the greatest growth in compensation of any two-year period in history. People are getting paid more. That's great. You know, and we're, we're seeing, you know, that all the few people who are getting all the spoils, it's having to be shared more. And yeah, it's hard because businesses didn't build their, their P&Ls to expect to pay people more money. But there's a lot of really, we're seeing more creativity and compensation. I mean, when have you ever seen creativity and compensation like we've seen the past few years? You know, not only is it about money, it's about what's our wellness strategy. And you can work differently and have different hours and all that's, you know, I think proving, I think going to prove in the end to be really valuable to us. So COVID's been a great opportunity and I hope people see it that way and take advantage of it. I, I agree with you, Steve. I think it's all in perspective, right? And it's so easy to sort of get pulled down sometimes into the, you know, do we need to keep talking about COVID and stuff? But the, the opportunities have been endless um, and the learning and the adaptability and, and the creativity, as you said, like full businesses have moved and provided a new service or product to, that was missing from the world. So I think it's helped get us out of some status quo thinking that that existed so as much as it's hard on us personally absolutely and and mentally as well I do see a shift with mental health absolutely and resiliency in employees I think if we can start 
looking for that hope and that positivity and the opportunities even more so that will be a godsend for all of us i i feel like we need a, a part two there's so much uh, <laughs> more we could be talking about yeah yeah and just love the thinking and um and your thoughts and particularly all of this comes down to an organizational culture the leadership um how we're how we're supporting employees evolve with their experience and their journey within the organization whatever that looks like and forever and for how long that looks like can you tell our listeners maybe how they can get your book and if they want to learn more about you and your website and that would be awesome sure let me before i do that lisa and lori just close with a little bit of my belief if i were living in bc right now what I would be doing. And, and I got into a bit of a standoff with someone in the, the BC business community a few months ago. And he said, Hey, we're going to be, you know, Vancouver is going to be the next Silicon Valley. And my response was, why are you aiming so low? <laughs> why don't you build something better? You have the, some, some of the most beautiful landscape and beautiful opportunity for great lifestyles there to build a better future of work that is balanced. And we've seen the pandemic is sort of a hostile takeover uh, of the merger of work and, and life, right? And I think BC for my four years there has just enormous assets to be able to leverage, to draw people who want everything, you know, beautiful life and beautiful work. And so I would say, you know, don't try to be Silicon Valley, try to be something better. But yeah, thank you again for having me on the show. I have a website, stevecadigan.com. My book, Workquake, is, uh, it's one word, not two. Uh, it's available anywhere books are sold. My speed listeners have all downloaded an Audible and tell me four and a half hours and they can knock it out. Uh, the, those of you uh, that, and, and you can get it. But interestingly enough, one of the hardest things that I went through with my publisher was what is the Canadian price of the book? Because I have a lot of friends in Canada and I always sort of like always felt rubbed that the price was always more expensive in Canada uh, and then I looked at Canadian authors and did exactly what they did in terms of the difference between the U.S. price and the Canadian <laughs> price. But it's not that much money. I think the right now it's like 16 to 20 bucks for used or new. We're coming out with a paperback in a few months. But yeah, I really appreciate the support. I also, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I do answer questions that people have. And I've been, I've attended a few of the... BC, I don't know if they still call it BC Herma uh, conferences in the past. Yeah. And I think they've combined with Yukon uh, over the, the years to sort of do a joint conference. But yeah, I'm very, uh, I have a lot of good friends in the community and I look forward to continuing to be a, a part of it going forward. Thanks so much, Steve, for being our, our guest today. It was very enlightening. Thanks for having me. Awesome.